The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Happy Friday, everyone. I'm Michael Kovnat, and this is the Next Big Idea Daily. So if you haven't noticed, things are getting pretty hairy out there. There are wars overseas, deep divisions at home, and that's not even accounting for whatever mess you've got going on in your personal life. So how do we cope? One way, one of my preferred ways, is to be stoic. I don't mean the stiff upper lip, don't express any emotions caricature that the word stoicism often suggests. I mean the deep and inherently practical wisdom of the ancient Greek and Roman Stoics, people like Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, who emphasized ethics and self-discipline as a way of managing the pain and unpredictability of a human life. Another person who got curious about this approach is Australian author and commentator Bridget Delaney. In her new book, Reasons Not to Worry, How to Be Stoic in Chaotic Times, Bridget offers an introduction to this ancient system of thought and explores what it may have to offer for our own confusing times. Here she is to share some of her key insights. Hi, my name is Bridget Delaney, and I'm the author of Reasons Not to Worry, How to Be Stoic in Chaotic Times. Firstly, what is Stoicism? It, it is a... It is an ancient philosophy that started in Athens around 350 BC and continued into the Christian era, but then sort of petered out with the rise of of Christianity. And it has enjoyed a resurgence in recent years with a lot of Silicon Valley bros and and others who have really embraced Stoicism. Um, There's not as many female uh, writers, and I... I think it's kind of a genderless philosophy in many ways. It's certainly helped me as a woman. I don't think it's particularly for men only or particularly masculine. So it can be applied to anyone with a rational brain, as the Stoics would say, a rational mind. The main tenet or cornerstone of Stoicism is this thing called the control test. So it's to work out what is in your control. And this is found in a text called the Enchiridion, which is based on a series of lectures by Epictetus, a famous Roman Stoic who used to be a slave and then was was freed and taught Stoicism. So his sense of the control test comes from a place of really having no agency for a large part of his life. He was also the son of a slave. But he could control his... Um, you know, he could control his character and that is what a lot of his writings emphasise. So Epictetus wrote in his handbook, which was published in 125 CE, within our power are opinion, motivation, desire, aversion, and in a word, whatever is our own doing. Not within our power are our body, our property, reputation, office, and in a word, what is not of our own doing. So essentially I take that to mean our field of control consists of our actions and reactions, our desires, our character, and how we treat others. The rest, including our bodies, the actions of others, our reputation and our fortunes, personal and financial, are out of our control. 
there's a few contentious things with this, and I, I do talk about this in the book, about how things like, uh, is desire really within our control? <laughs> I'm sure all of us have felt that at some point desire has felt completely out of control. And things like hormones and the unconscious and trauma and, um, you know, things that we, you know, patterns we inherit ancestrally, like these are all things that, you know, hadn't necessarily been studied around the time of Stoicism. And so, you know, that sort of stuff that does affect desire, that does affect action, you know, isn't in classical Stoicism. However, a lot of what they do say makes sense. You know, they definitely, our characters are within our control. You know, we do have agency to stop, think, act differently, react differently, slow things down. And a lot of, um, a lot of Stoic text talks about how you can control things like anger, for example, and Seneca's great on that. The second thing that's in my book that I really took from Stoicism is that you don't need to judge everything. And we make judgments really quickly, often without adequate information, sometimes when no judgment is not needed at all. And so much of what we label good or bad is actually neutral, but our judgments are powerful and they dictate to a large extent how we respond. An example I've got in my book of this is that I may apply for a rental property that I really want, have my heart set on it, have furnished it in my brain, and then I miss out. And so I say, this is bad. It's a bad situation. I react. I get upset. I lose my tranquility. But is it actually bad if the following week a much better place comes on the market and I'm successful in getting that? No. So the thing that we thought was bad actually works out for us. You know, the Stoics were really good at stepping back. Marcus Aurelius, I think it was, called it the view from above. So you know, rather than getting caught up in the emotion of a rejection or not getting our own way, we step back, we take a longer view. And when we take that longer view, we see that a lot of things that did upset us in the past actually weren't the end of the world. They were kind of neutral events that we put our own lens on. And the Stoics were really, really into tranquility. They tried to keep a baseline calm state. They called it ataraxia in a lot of the readings and a way of... of having this ataraxia was to refrain from making constant judgments. Okay, and the third thing is, is this thing that they call the preferred indifference. So they say essentially money, health, and reputation are out of our control. It's pretty scary for a lot of people to think that, you know, you could end up bankrupt, um, you're definitely going to die, <laughs> and you probably will get ill. And your reputation, you know, that's something that you can try your hardest to have a good reputation, but people can spread rumours or get things wrong. So all these things are out of our control. And once again, if we want to preserve our tranquility, the Stoics would say, recognise that those things are out of our control. Do not get too down or unhappy if you lose them, because you most certainly will lose them at some point in your life. Um, just keep that tranquil state. And if we can cultivate indifference to them, we're less likely to become upset and waste energy trying to control them. So, you know, without any fault of your own, you could lose your reputation, your job, your money, your house, maybe your marriage. You're certainly going to lose your looks as you age. And if you live long enough, you might lose mobility, cognitive ability and other aspects of your health. 
accidents and illnesses happen all the time too and are also outside your control. And, and one thing the Stoics warned against um, and why this is called a preferred indifference is they warned against suffering twice. That is, you can't help but suffer. If you, know, if you get ill or you get injured, that's out of your control. You can't do much about it. You've just got to wear it. But you can stop the suffering, the second suffering that comes from that, which is the anger or anxiety that comes from being sick or injured. You know, they say illness or injury can happen to anyone, so there's no reason why it shouldn't happen to you. And anyway, death eventually comes for us all. So in order to avoid being too pained by these accruing losses, it's better to practice indifference to what you have in the first place. Thank you, Bridget. I'm going to see if I can practice preferred indifference to my money, health, and reputation, at least for the weekend. Next week, it'll be back to work, back with a heaping helping of big ideas for you, ideas you can find anytime you want on our next Big Idea app. And hey, have you read any good newsletters lately? If not, sign up for mine using the link in these episode notes. I'll send you a weekly rundown of the latest and greatest ideas from nonfiction. And you can also sign up by searching for The Next Big Idea on LinkedIn. This week's episodes were written and produced by me and edited by Kayla Bissinger. The Next Big Idea Daily is part of the LinkedIn Podcast Network. See you Monday. 